Okay, now for our first message, Mr. Art Williams with an economic and world awareness update. Yes, I could read the scriptures off the back wall, but sometimes the old eyes play tricks on me. Better to have my Bible handy. I've been getting teased about my title, World Awareness Day. I should be handing out ribbons, they told me. <clears throat> but several months ago, I gave a message on economics and world condition, and things have changed quite quickly, so I thought it would be worthwhile to give an update, kind of a follow-up to that. Um, our nation has been greatly blessed by God from our founding fathers until this day, and uh, it seems that we are departing more and more from his ways. Michael Steiner, on October 2012, in the etfdailynews.com writes, most Americans have no idea what a tremendous advantage the United States possesses by having a primary reserve currency of the world. And most Americans also have no idea how close the US dollar is to losing that status. For the past 40 years, the vast majority of all global trading, including buying and selling of oil, has been done in US dollars. And that is still the case today. But things are starting to shift. All over the globe, international agreements are being made to move away from the US dollar and to use other currencies in global trading. That's going to be the first part of my message, is the changes that are taking place. And let's begin with an economic review, starting with the qualitative easing, which is the Federal Reserve purchasing $85 billion worth of government bonds every month. The stated purpose was to stimulate the economy, but perhaps a more accurate statement was to prevent a recession or depression. So far, as stimulating the economy goes, it is somewhat questionable since the data shows variable amounts of growth from minus 1.3% in 2012 to plus 4.9%, I'm sorry, in 2011, to 4.9% in 2012 to only 0.1% in 2013. QE has been in place for multiple years now, and the data being generated since 2010 seems to be Traditional, a traditional variation that could be considered statistically normal. Anyway, the QE continues, even though it is reported by some authorities that the economy has recovered. But nonetheless, QE continues. And why? One reason is the unemployment is over 7%. And that is deemed unacceptable. So we can conclude not everything is as good as the GDP figures would provide. Or perhaps this is the new norm, that unemployment at 7% is the best our economy can do. And why would that be? Because all the jobs lost overseas and cost-saving automation that's been implemented, such as self-checkouts, trash trucks with autocam pickup, for example, all deprive people of jobs. Unemployment at 7% has, has become a structural part of the economy, an intrinsic part of our economy. 
It used to be when we invented a new product here, such as televisions in the 1930s, it was followed up by companies building manufacturing plants, employing thousands and contributing to the GDP. Now we supply that opportunity to other countries like China. Why? Because our costs here, both fixed and variable, would make the price of our goods manufactured here to be such that many would not be able to afford them. So we outsource manufacturing jobs for lower cost. And that was the beginning. And now we're outsourcing engineering jobs and service jobs. Soon it may be that we will all be flipping burgers for $100,000 a year. Then the cycle is complete. The idea that unemployment is structural is validated by the World Economic Forum. And the QE, that is the punch bowl of the party. You take away the punch bowl and the party is over. Mr. Bernanke had started some rumors along with other Federal Reserve members a few months back that he was going to start reducing QE. And if you were watching, you saw the stock market start to crater. Why? Perhaps he did this because he wanted to know how the market would react, or he wanted to stop an overheated market, or he already knows full well removing QE will stall the economy, and he's trying to wean them off of the punch bowl. But it's also interesting that Mr. Menaki wants out of the job, just as Mr. Geithner did, and it appears that Yellen will replace him, and she says she will continue the QE. And it's still interesting that both Geithner and Vernacki wanted out of the job at the start of the second term of the president. Perhaps they don't want their names associated with what's coming. The impact of continuing QE is triggering a response led primarily by China and Russia. You don't hear about it on the daily news. They have moved very quickly to put together systems for themselves to detach themselves from the dollar. Here in the U.S., we start talking about something, and two years later, nothing has happened, and we're still talking about it doesn't seem to be the case in China. One indicator of what is going on is the dollar held by central banks around the world. Market Watch writer Matthew Lin out of London write, actually wrote in 2011 that once the dollar dips below the 50% point in the reserve holdings and central banks, we can officially declare that the dollar days as a reserved currency are done. He goes on to say, this is estimated to happen sometime between 2015 and 2020, but could be sooner. In a different article by Michael Payne, 20th of April, 2012, he reports a survey of central banks say the dollar will no longer be the reserve currency within 10 years. So that's 2022. It'll be interesting to see if Matthew Lynn's statement that central banks would give up the dollar why they still have 50% of the reserves in the dollar, and if that will be accurate, because they could still suffer sizable losses. But let's look at some data. <clears throat> in 2001, 71% of all central bank cash reserves were held in dollars. By 2010, it was down to 61.8%. That's an average decline of only 0.92% per year. Not too bad, nothing earth-shattering. However, from 2010 to 2011, it increased a small amount from 0.92 to 0.93. In 
to 1.1. Now, if we take that data and we project it out into the future to where we get to the 50% point, it would be reached in 2021. But there's a fly in the ointment. That report that I read came out earlier. But the latest information, which is from the IMF, that's the International Monetary Fund, reported on March 13, 2013, the dollars held in central bank reserves is 54%. That says that the central banks have increased the rate by which they are leaving the dollar. And it is now at a 3.4% rate up from the 2011 rate of 1.1%. The central banks around the world are moving away from the dollar as the world's reserve currency and at an accelerating rate. This means they are already planning in and know the dollar will be removed as the world's reserve currency and are taking actions to accommodate that eventuality. At the average rate of decline in at the current average rate of decline in 2014, Q1, the figure will be 50.65%, well on track to reaching the 50% level before 2015 or by 2015. Whether central banks will abandon the dollar when they reach the 50% level on reserves is somewhat questionable. With a 50% reduction in the value of the dollar and with 50% of their dollars, still the reserves still in dollars, they would be risking a 25% loss. I don't know if they would be willing to do that. I don't think I would, but I don't have their mindset and I don't know all the data that they look at, how they look at these things. However, before any nation can truly abandon the dollar as the world currency, they must be sure that their own national economy is detached from the impact. How do they do that? Well. Russia and China have been holding meetings around the world with trading partners to discuss decoupling. Let's take an example. Say this plastic cup costs $1 here in the United States, but it comes from China. And in China, it costs 6 yuan. That's Y-U-A-N, not J-U-A-N. And it just so happens that right now, approximately in round numbers, $1 equals six Chinese yuan. So if you wanted to buy this, you could buy it for $1. After the dollar would be devalued, say by 50%, this cup coming out of China still sells for six yuan. But the value of the dollar won't be six yuan. With a 50% reduction, it would only be three yuan. So now to buy this cup, it's going to cost you two American dollars. That's the impact. If you buy a car with a transmission in it that comes from China, the transmission will cost more, your car will cost more. All imports generally would cost more. I say all, I will back off from that statement. There's a few currencies that might have the reversal on it. Michael Payne, writing on the 20th of April, 2012, a year and seven months ago, reported the following. Let me get the article out here.
he lists the trading agreements that China has been making for the purpose of bypassing the dollar. That is buying oil without going through the US dollar. I'll read off what he reports here. China and Iran, this is interesting because Iran is supposed to have sanctions imposed upon it. Of course, it's not too well known in the news that 27 countries have been given waivers so they don't have to abide by those sanctions. China and Iran are creating a barter system by which Iranian oil will be, will be exchanged for Chinese imported products. China and Japan announced plans to bypass the dollar and use their own currencies. China and Russia have, for over a year, been conducting trade using rubies and the yuan. China and the United Arab Emirates announced agreements in which they will use the yuan for oil trades. Russia and Iran have agreed to use rubies as a mean of, current, of, of currencies in their trades. China will pursue bilateral talks, trade talks with Russia and Malaysia for using the yuan. Nation comprising the BRICS group, that's Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, recently agreed at a summit meeting in China to establish mutual lines of credit using local currencies. The United Nations Conference on Trade and Development has stated that the currency system of the currencies and capital rules which binds the world economy is not working properly and was largely responsible for the financial and economic crisis. Further, that the dollar should be replaced with a global currency. The International Monetary Fund recent issues a statement about replacing the, dollars, the dollar as the world's reserve currency with a system of special drawing rights called SDRs, or a type of international currency. It seems like everybody is jumping on the bandwagon. In the Financial Times, there was a, re a survey done by Sean Connell. And in his survey that he got from the Financial Times, central bankers revealed that they believe the US dollar will lose its reserve status over the next 10 years. Again, we had the 10-year time frame. This was in March 2012. Of course, the survey was actually done somewhat before the report. The impact of these agreements was noticeable in the first four months of the year of 2012. China divested itself of $200 billion worth of trade in dollars. That's an annual rate of $600 billion. Probably a lot of that was in oil trades with Iran. China's GDP in 2012 was approximately $8.4 trillion, of which 17%, or about $1.4 trillion, is exported to the United States. China also holds $1.2 trillion of US debt that is at risk. If the dollar is devaluated by, say, 50%, and I use 50% because that's a, lot of, that's a number that's being bounded about out there quite a bit. They would stand to lose 50% of their purchasing power. Of course, they'd probably get a thank you card in the mail from the US that says, we thank you for your support. <clears throat> the bottom line is that the day is rapidly approaching when the dollar will no longer be the world's reserve currency. When that happens, the dollar will be devalued. The removing of the dollar as the world reserve currency is being orchestrated now. And it will happen. This is not like a, a car accident that just happens out of the blue. It is being orchestrated. 
continuing in Sean Carnell's article, the World Economic Forum, and that's a forum that's made up of large global corporations, and they have to be of a certain uh, economic size, turning so many sales and having net asset value to be a member. But he, they, the World Economic Forum, is of the favor of the view of replacing the dollar with a basket of currencies, such as the SDR, which I mentioned earlier, which is part of the IMF. And SDR is defined as special drawing rights, and it's actually used as a currency in the International Monetary Fund. The value of the SDR is determined by four currencies, and this is ironic. The four currencies are the euro, the yen, the pound sterling, and the dollar. I say that as ironic because with the dollar on, ver on the verge of being devalued, and the pound sterling already was devalued back in 1967, and the euro is somewhat on the, on the, on the, on the precipice of an, of an edge, perhaps going to fall, it's interesting that the basket is made up of those four. The IMF reported an increase in SDRs from 21.4 billion to 2.4 billion when they uh, allocated a special, a special allocation was made on September 9th, 2009. In that single event, that 204 billion SDRs was the equivalent to 309 billion US. Whether that basket of currencies would be used as a global currency or as a reserved currency going forward is somewhat debatable, of course. Uh, other possibilities that are being batted around out there are, are the currency of China, India, or Canada, or a new world currency altogether. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, near the end. What are the requirements for a reserve currency? And I'll just read off four of them. It's an article uh, from Seeking Alpha by Sean Connell. A large economy for currency, user stability, and options. Two, reserves are held with currencies used for major transactions or trades. Three, liquidity across financial instruments with large markets. And four, physical and monetary policies guaranteeing low inflation expectations. Those are the requirements. But even with all that, things must happen when it is politically and economically advantageous to do so. These things, again, are orchestrated. Typically, the way things have been working in most recent times, politically, it will happen not before, but after an election in the United States, probably after a presidential election, because then the new, newly elected officials can blame those that are no longer in office. Economically, it will happen on a Friday after the close of the markets and probably beginning a three-day or a four-day weekend. The result to you and I will be that all foreign goods will be more expensive, interest rates will go up, and inflation will increase. So you will lose some purchasing power, but if you have $1,000 in the bank, you still have $1,000 in the bank. It doesn't affect your balance. 
What can we do about the crisis developing before us? Well, some of us may be able to do some things and avoid the crisis or lessen the impact, and many of us won't be able to do very much. As with any of these crises, the rich are always impacted the least, and those of us that are further down the food chain, closer to the survival level needs, feel the greatest impact. Some financial moves that can offset the devaluation are currency, foreign currency investments, which will be done through Forex. Trade your dollars in and buy one. Or you could buy certain ETFs that track foreign currencies, or you could buy precious metals, gold, palladium, platinum, silver. I'm not a financial advisor. Some of these financial moves are not for everybody. Some of them are somewhat convoluted and involved, to say the least, especially ETFs. And whether you should even try to do anything except maybe just change your buying habits. You know, buy things that don't have the in imported cost prices on it. But this is not the first time a reserve currency will be re replaced. It's happened before. And the world continued on. There is a positive side to devaluation. It makes manufacturing a product here in the United States more profitable, and this in turn creates jobs. So it's not all negative. In 1933, the U.S. dollar was devalued, and individuals had to turn in their gold. In 1967, the pound sterling was removed as the world reserve currency and was devalued. I want to go to another article here. <clears throat> When the pound sterling was devalued in 1967, it went down from $2.40. I went, sorry, it went down to $2.40 from $2.80. A cost of a cut of just over 14%. The GDP of Britain, United Kingdom at that time, was a hard number to come up with. And I'm not sure I have a right number, um, so I'm not going to give it to you. But the, their deficit that they had, their 800 million pound deficit, was 45% of their GDP. Right now, our deficit is over 100% of our GDP. Over 100%. And the United States economy is 25% of the entire economy of the world. That's why there are so many people out there raising the flag saying, this is going to be bad. This cloud may not have any kind of a silver lining. We shall see. Time will tell. But I'm not piecing together here news events to build some kind of a case for some prophecy. This is going to happen just as sure as I'm standing here in front of you. It's not speculation. This is totally separate from any scripture. This is going to happen. It's only a matter of time when. So when this does happen, is it just another world event? Or is there more significance to it? Does this feed into any scriptures? It can. Quite often when we read the scriptures, we look at these events as being instantaneous, a miraculous event where God ordains, now is the time, boom, and something happens. But in fact, 
it can be a slow process unwrapping itself as time goes by and culminating at the appointed time. In Isaiah 17.4, Isaiah 17.4, And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. And then if we turn over to Jeremiah 30, Jeremiah 30, let's start in verse 7. And this, is, this whole chapter, which is about the time of Jacob's trouble, is really interesting because the narrative begins with God talking about Israel and Judah, transitions to Jacob, and then in the very last verse, it's at Zion. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, for the day is so great, so none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now let's continue on down to 13 through 14. Same chapter. There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines. In the next verse 14. All thy lovers have forgotten thee. They seek thee not. For I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins were increased. Much of the prof- much, many prophecies require somewhat of an understanding of history. And if we go to Daniel 8.21, we'll see a fairly easy history to track. Daniel 8.21, because it tells us very specifically, and the rough goat is the king of Grisha, and that great horn is between his eyes, is the first king. The king they're talking about here is Alexander the Great. And it goes on to explain in the next verse 22, now that being broken, that is the great horn, Whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And that's what happened after Alexander the Great was dead. And he died under, say, suspicious circumstances. Nobody knows if it was natural or if it was an assassination. Could have been poisoned. He died suddenly in 323 BC, and his kingdom was divided up into four kingdoms. Originally, they were called Macedonia, Asia Minor, Egypt, and Syria. Today, they're Greece, Turkey, Syria, and Egypt. And it goes on in verse 23. In the latter days of their kingdom. Now, we can sit back and wonder, what does that mean, the latter days of their kingdom? Is it talking about the kings, that, the very first kings that replaced Alexander the Great? Or is it talking about the latter days, meaning before these kingdoms are going to be destroyed, before Jesus comes? The, the, the forerunner of the fulfillment of this prophecy was Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was Greek. But he ruled Syria. And he ruled from 215 B.C. to 164 B.C. 
He died of some disease. He was not assassinated. And if we continue reading down through here, we get the impression in, well, let's, let's, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. In, in verse 24 of Daniel 8, it says, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. When we read a statement like that, quite often we reference ourselves to 2 Thessalonians 2.9, where it basically identifies the source of power as Satan. But if you go to Revelation 17.13, you find out that the ten kings all have one mind, and they give their power to the strength unto the beast. And when the little horn comes up among the ten, back in Revelation, I'm sorry, back in Daniel 7, verse 8, it comes up among the ten. So essentially, the end time beast, if these prophecies apply, there would be 11, 10 kings that support him, plus him, with him getting his power from Satan and from the 10. Point is, he doesn't have to be of a powerful nation. The beast only has to facilitate and get those to cooperate with him and do his bidding for him. Because when we go down, down through here, say to verse 25, we, we see, and through his policies he shall cause deceit to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many, and he sh shall also stand up against the prince, the princes, but shall be broken without hand. Prince of princes, princes in capital P's, broken without hand, back in Daniel 2.45, I think it is. We see the stone coming out, cut out without hands, smashing the toes and the image. My Bible has three notes about this, this section of scriptures, Daniel 8, 23 through 27. Concerning this sinister figure, there are three views. Some think he is the king of the north, referred to in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 40. Others regard him as a type of the Roman beast of the end time. Others see this king as a direct prophecy of the final Roman beast, identifying his geographical origin out of one of the four kingdoms of ancient Greece. Greece, Turkey, Syria, or Egypt. With Antiochus Epiphany being the forerunner, having come out of Egypt. If we go to Daniel 11, verse 21, we see the term king of the north and king of the south. Again, historically or generically, the king of the north here has been pretty much assumed to be the king of Syria, the king of south, Egypt. Both countries that are in the news quite frequently today, both are in conditions of political instability. But in Daniel 12.9, it says, they're sealed until the time of the end. When's the time of the end? The time of the end isn't when I declare it or some evangelist declares it. The time of the end is the 70th week. It's the last seven years. And Paul, in writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 4, 
says that we should be able to see these things coming. For in the last days, men will be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And we can continue on into verse 5. And if you read the news events of the day, we'll see these things are transpiring. The gay rights movement is getting legal status in some of our states. These things and these items in 2 Timothy all have degrees to them. You can have 5% of your society being overrun with these, or you can have 95% of your society going that way. In 1950 or 1960, when I was growing up, gays were defined by one of two five-letter words. And gay meant you were happy. When Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, God saved a handful of people. I don't know what percentage of the population that handful of people equated to. But it, if it goes that way, we have a while to go yet. I want to read a statement that was put out by the World Economic Forum. It's the Outlook for Global Agenda for 2014. And this is based on 1,592 uh, opinions gleaned from those people from 112 nations around the globe. The, the 10 items that they came up with that these corporations around the world are concerned about. Rising social tensions in the Middle East and North Africa, widening income disparities, persistent structural unemployment. What I mentioned earlier, persistent structural unemployment. It is inherently in part of the economy because that's the way it has gone. That's a natural result, natural consequence of what we've been doing. Next one, intensifying cyber effects, inaction on climate change, diminished confidence in economic policies, a lack of values in leadership. I found that one astounding. Lack of values in leadership. And here, the largest corporations that make up this World Economic Forum are identifying a lack of values in leadership. That's quite amazing. The expanding middle class in Asia, the growing importance of megacities, and the rapid spread of misinformation online. I was talking with Ron Wilhoit some time back about economics. And he mentioned something that I hadn't ever thought of. And we were talking about, we got it, we evolved, the conversation evolved to, how is this end time beast going to get himself to be popular? How can this guy come out of the blue and get so popular? I mean, it's just, well, one of the ways, and Ron said this, and I emailed him. about this event. But getting back to our discussion, I'm trying to find the, my, uh, got so much paper here, it's. I'm 
But anyway, I'll go on here. Maybe I can. I was talking to Ron sometime back, and he mentioned that he felt the beast will become popular because he's going to declare a jubilee year, and everybody's debts is going to go away. And I thought about that. I said, well, I guess that's possible, but there's an awful lot of creditors out there. If you owe me $1.2 trillion, I'm not going to be too interested in saying, ah, yeah, let's just dismiss it. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Just let that go. But there's an alternative to that, where there's an, an additional item wherein you can make it somebody worth somebody's while. And that's with a new currency. You see, you go to China and you say, look it, the United States owes you one point, whatever it was, seven trillion dollars. We'll give you 1.7 trillion equivalent of the new world currency and you wipe out the United States debt. But before you do that, you go to the US and you say, well, you know, your largest debt is your social security trust. Here's what we're going to do. And the, and the second largest debt is to the Federal Reserve. We're going to take the Social Security debt and the Federal Reserve debt, and through the IMF, we're going to sell it off to third world countries. But the third world countries really don't have the money to, to buy it. So we'll lend them the money so they can buy it. We'll wipe out all that debt, too. So the United States, you don't have any debt to China. You don't have any Social Security debt. You don't have Federal Reserve debt. But you don't get any of the new currency. Who gets the new currency? All the people that were the creditors. Interesting concept. Not saying that's going to happen that way, but it's an interesting concept. In the direction that everything is going with destruction of the dollar, probably having a new world currency coming along, we must make sure that we are doing two things. Number one, we're close to God and relying on him. And number two, that we are prepared to act appropriately. Because it says in Proverbs 22, verse 3. Proverbs 22, verse 3. The prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And in Proverbs 2, 11 and 12. Proverbs 2, 11 and 12. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of the wicked men and from men whose words are perverse. I want to encourage all of you to be sure you're in the hands of God and work at it diligently and to be prudent, to act discreetly and with wisdom. <laughs>